I'm going to look uh, today at, or begin today, looking at one scripture um, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And I'll begin as always, even if it is the end of the service, to tell you that this is God's word. We believe it's true from Genesis through maps. We, uh, it is infallible. It's the only place that we can turn for all the answers that we have to our questions in life. They're to be found here. This is our source of strength, the living word of God. So look with me at Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Nice little short verse there but one that means a great deal to us at Renovation Church. It says that he went through Galilee. That's one of the the three areas of Israel at that time. There uh, there was the northern part, which was Galilee, where the Sea of Galilee is. You've heard of that, I'm sure. There's a central area in Israel at this time called Samaria, where nobody that was uh, a Jewish believer would go because it was made up of pagan people. And then there was the southern part, Judah, which was where uh, Jerusalem was, where they went up for all their feasts. So we're talking about this northern part, rural area, farmland, known for, of course, the Sea of Galilee, the, the lake that's there. And, and their life was centered around that lake and mainly fishing. Fishing was something that uh, could be shared among all the people in the, in the country. They would salt the, the fish down, and, and then it would be preserved for a long time. So that's the area we're talking about. If you don't know the word synagogue, um, a synagogue is, is not really the Jewish equivalent of a church. It is, but it was started as something a little different. It was started as kind of like a community center where people would come together uh, in order to have a synagogue in your little community, you had to have 10 men come together. 10 men. Women didn't count. 10 men come together, and they would form a synagogue. So synagogues were all over the area. Uh, everywhere they had a, a small village, they would have a synagogue. And the, the synagogues were made up of elders, a ruler, one person that was in charge of the synagogue, uh, making sure it was ready for meetings whenever they had it, and then an attendant. And the attendant would bring the scrolls out for them to read the scriptures when it was, it was time to do that, when they did have a worship service there. Um, the ruler was like the rich young ruler that we'll read about later in, in Matthew uh, chapter 19 and, and also in Luke. So ten men had to do that. Had to be close enough, the synagogue had to be close enough to the people in the village so that they wouldn't break the law because it was against the Jewish law to walk more than what would be the equivalent today of about half a mile from your house. If you walked further than that, you were working. So you couldn't break the law because you didn't work on the Sabbath. So these synagogues were pretty uh, uh, evenly spaced and, and put in places where they were easy to get to. And uh, the service would, would start with uh, the Shema, the Shema is the Jewish scripture from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. Okay? 
And that was repeated every time. And then there was prayer and scripture and a message, a short message, and a benediction. And that was basically what they did in the synagogue. So he, he went throughout this area to their synagogues where they're holding services, preaching the good news, and healing anybody that came up to him. Your first blank there on your sheet says, the life-giving power of the kingdom of God is breaking into and working through the ordinary details of everyday life. That's really what we're going to spend some time looking at over the next several weeks because that's the paradox. That is the paradox. Normal, everyday life, the life of the people, uh, eating and drinking, uh, marrying and uh, giving in marriage, working, uh, worshiping, building, fishing, sickness, health, living, dying, even a picnic thrown in there at one point. Um, all these things were normal, ordinary things that happened in the course of one's life. And yet Jesus turned the world upside down. None of these would ever be the way they were again once he came. So we're going to look specifically this morning at this idea of the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus is the one that inaugurated the kingdom of God. So when we come to the New Testament, we find that the very first words recorded in the uh, gospel of Matthew, um, excuse me, of Mark, which is the first gospel, it's the second in our Bibles, but Mark was the first one written. They are pretty sure that it was the very first one written, and Matthew and Luke kind of borrowed from it to write theirs. They used the outline of, of Mark to do theirs. So Mark is the first one, but the very first words that Jesus spoke in the Gospels is in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, and he said this. The very first words out of his mouth in his teaching were these. The time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is near. Well, what in the world did he mean by the kingdom of God? What does that, what does that term mean? I'm going to borrow today a great deal from this little book. It's uh, called The Gospel of the Kingdom. It's written by a professor from Fuller Seminary. Uh, his name is George Ladd. And it is it pretty quickly here in his book, it gets into deep weeds. So we, we're not going to cover it in that detail. But I do want you to understand his concept because it is absolutely fascinating and it's absolutely pivotal to what we're looking at. Also, part of this comes from teachings that uh, Nikki Gumbel does in the Alpha Course. So I want to give credit to both of those guys uh, in that all of these words today are not mine. They're, they're, many of them are borrowed just so that we can uh, explain it to you in a way that's uh, simple and easy to understand. The kingdom of God, or as Matthew interchanges with it, the kingdom of heaven, um, is, the, is what we're going to look at. And that's mentioned 82 times in the, in the Gospels, 82 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in those three Gospels. The word kingdom means not only a political or geographical realm, but it also means reigning and ruling, a king and his kingdom. So the kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God. And this kingdom... And, and this gets to be a little bit complex, and there's been lots of books other than this one that were written on it. But basically, the kingdom of God, it says, is both now and then. 
it's already here and it's not yet here. Already and not yet. And I want to give a couple of diagrams to you that you've got on your handouts there that we can, we can kind of trace this so you'll understand what we're saying. The Jewish teaching or the Jewish concept of the kingdom of God was this. The Jewish expectation, which, which is the orange line on, on this uh, graph here, was and is this age, the age in which we live right now. That's the orange line. That's the age that we live in, they lived in. And they believe that this age will come to an end. Boom, it'll end. And that it'll be followed at some time after that by the age to come. It'll be followed by the age to come, and that's your green line. The age to come will be ushered in when Messiah arrives on the scene. Well, now, they didn't believe Jesus was Messiah, so that, that hadn't happened yet for them. That hadn't happened. And when he comes, there will be a completed kingdom. If you were to ask a, a Jewish person today what their concept of this is, that's what they'd tell you. We've got an age that we live in now, this age. Messiah will come, and then there will be the age to come in the future. Okay? There's a distinct break right here where Messiah comes. Everything changes after that. The second chart on your, on your page there is how Jesus modified that teaching for the understanding of the people he was, he was talking to. In other words, it's a paradox of the Jewish teaching. And in Jesus' teachings, there's still the, the orange line, the this age. This age is still here, the age in which we're living and existing right now, in which he lived and existed back then. That's all the same age. It's this age that is present. And there's still the age to come, which is the green line. So both of those are still present. He hadn't changed that part of the Jewish thinking. But what Jesus is saying in a nutshell was that this age would not come to an end before the age to come began. Are you totally confused now? <laughs> you see, they kind of overlap there a little bit. They overlap. So the blue line represents the first coming of Jesus. When he came, he died, he was resurrected. That was the first coming of Jesus. And when Jesus came, he inaugurated, as we said earlier, the kingdom of God. It was an inbreaking into this present age of the kingdom of God. We could kind of get a foretaste of what was to come in the kingdom of God. We could, we could begin to know what the kingdom of God was going to be like. There's this, there's this great term that uh, we use in, uh, that we learned in seminary that's called eschatological inbreaking. <laughs> And it's, it's neat just to be able to say that. You know, it's kind of like deoxyribonucleic acid. You, you can say those things, you haven't, haven't a clue what they mean, but the inbreaking of the kingdom of God happened when Jesus came. And from that point on, we were able to get a glimpse into what heaven would be like, what the kingdom of God would be like. We could know. So the age to come is the green line there. It started, but the previous age, this age, the orange line, did not stop until the second coming of Jesus, which is the red line that will come up there. That's the second coming of Jesus. Then and only then will the kingdom of God be complete and consummated. All right. The age to come. But in the meantime, in that little square that you see, 
In the meantime, where we live right now, we live in the period between the, the, uh, this age and the age to come. When it's already here, Jesus has already come. When it's already here, but it's not yet complete. The already and the not yet. This age, the age to come. The first time Jesus came, he came in weakness. It says in the Bible in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, it says this. I'm going to back up a little bit to verse 5, so that won't be up here on the screen. But if you have your Bibles, you can look at it. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Here's verse 7. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He gave up all the power of heaven to become weak like you and me. When he comes back, though, He'll come in power and great glory. All of history, as a matter of fact, is moving toward that climax, that great climax when Jesus returns. And I've put some some, uh, points up here that that are referenced throughout the Bible. It says there are over 300 references in the New Testament alone to the second coming of Jesus. 300 references to His second coming. When Jesus returns, it's going to be obvious to everyone. Now... 20, well, 40, 50 years ago, people would have thought, how in the world can that happen? Uh, you know he's supposed to come to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. How are the people in America going to know that's happening? Well, as we've seen this past week, when events happen in Egypt, we're eyewitness to it. Now, don't you think if Jesus came back for a second time, we'd be eyewitness to that as well? That'd be pretty phenomenal, wouldn't it? Talk about a democracy. (laughs) We we would be right in the midst of it. Okay, history as we know it will end when Jesus comes. It'll just end. There is no history. There will be a universal resurrection and a day of judgment. We're promised that in Scripture. There will be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. Jesus Himself will be there together with all of those who love and obey Him. It'll be a place of intense happiness which will go on forever, happiness forever. He will be given, or we will be given, glorious new resurrection bodies. And some of us are really looking forward to that. Yeah. We won't have to look at these things anymore. There will be glorious new resurrection bodies. There will be no more death or sorrow, no more pain or crying. And on that day, all who believe in Jesus will be totally healed. Totally healed. Whatever the situation is, totally healed. Lame, blind, mute, uh, depression, relationship problems, gone away. Totally healed. But until that time, we're kind of caught in this in-between period, and we have to wait. And for some of us, That's not very much fun. Some of us have no patience, and uh, yet we're required to wait. Paul even talks about this in Romans 8.23. He says these these words. 
speaking of the time that Jesus will come and will finally uh, uh, enter that uh, um, kingdom of God. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. While we're sitting here waiting, we're thinking, will this ever come? Will it ever come? I can tell those of you that are young here, it seems like it's a long way off, but it's as you get older, it's not that far off. And as you're younger, you don't think much about it. You don't, it's not something you look forward to. But as we get older, man, bring it on. Bring it on. I want to, I want to, today would be great. You know, it's nice and beautiful. This would be a great day. Just bring it on. In other words, the total redemption of our bodies has to wait for that second coming of Jesus. And it's absolutely essential when we talk about the kingdom of God that we put it into this eternal perspective. We can't think about it in, in temporal times. We have to think about the eternity of it. We look at the kingdom of God and how we are working through the kingdom of God. So there's this future aspect, but there's this present aspect too. Already? Not yet. That's the kingdom of God. And what God does expect us to see in this present age of the kingdom of God are signs. Signs. We talk about signs and wonders and miracles happening. He expects us to see signs of the approaching kingdom. But he doesn't want us to focus on those signs as the whole thing. We're not in this to do miracle working. We're not in this to go out and heal everybody. We're not in this to... to, uh, show the wonders of God to each and every person. And if, you know, sometimes we pray for people to be healed, right? And they don't get healed. And we wonder, well, why? Why? Is it my faith? Is it their faith? Is, is this all real? Well, you know, what's the deal here? Well, the deal is that we are not in that completed period of time yet. We're in the in-between time where we're going to get a glimpse now and then of what healing, total healing is like, but it won't happen every time because we're not there. Jesus hasn't come back yet. Signposts are important, but they aren't the destination. Don't get confused with the signs. Many people go to a church because it's a healing church or it's a church that speaks in tongues, or it's a church that does this or that. Yes, those are signs, and yes, they might be present in any church, but that's not the reason we go. We go to worship. We go to experience a little taste of what God has in store for us. That's all we can expect right now. Have patience. It's coming. It's coming, and it'll be here. The kingdom of God is something which can be discovered and experienced now. And that's what Jesus was teaching. We don't have to wait for that time to experience it. It can be experienced now. He says the kingdom of heaven is near. He doesn't mean it's off in time. He means it's near. It, you can reach out and touch it. You wanna, this is Valentine's Day coming up here. You want to be near the one you love, right? So you can reach out and touch The kingdom of heaven is near. John 10.10 says this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
And in some other translations it says, abundant life. Live abundantly. Now I used to think that meant that Jesus had died for me and I would go to heaven and then I would have this wonderful life. Well, as you look at it in terms of the kingdom of God, what he's really saying is, I have died for you so that your wonderful life can start right now. It can start today. You can have a wonderful, abundant life beginning the, the very moment that you decide that, I want to live for you, Jesus. I want to be a Christ follower. The whole life changes. It's a paradox. We can begin that wonderful life today. And throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus saw his ministry as a fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament. He didn't throw out the Old Testament. He said, I didn't come to abolish that. I didn't come to do away with the teachings in the Old Testament. I came to fulfill them. I want you to see how they apply to your life. They're integral in your life today. And he went on to demonstrate this present reality of the kingdom of God by all that he did in his ministry. Things like forgiveness of sin, healing the sick, dealing with evil in the world. He did all those things. So we live between the times when the completed kingdom has not arrived yet, but the kingdom of God is here, as Jesus put it. And Jesus demonstrated that concept by his preaching the good news, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. Let me go back to the scripture that we looked at first. Matthew 4.23, and we'll read this again. See if you see any of the glimpses of the kingdom of God here. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So Matthew tells us this is what Jesus did. And then he sets out in Matthew to, to show us how he did it. So chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew are what we commonly refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, the teaching that he did on the hillside uh, there along the Sea of Galilee. How and what Jesus was proclaiming. And then he tells us that, that Jesus healed, and he gives us nine healing miracles in chapters 8 and 9. And then at the end of, well not right at the end, but close to the end of chapter 9, Matthew 9.35, Matthew says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Well, those two verses look a whole lot alike, don't they? And it wasn't a mistake. Matthew wrote this to set, off, set apart that section of Scripture for us to take a real close look at. And that's what we're going to try to do. We're going to take a look at what Jesus did. I've said in here the last couple of weeks that um, I used to get aggravated with those little bracelets that said, what, what would Jesus do? I think it ought to have a D there, and what did Jesus do? That's what we need to be looking at. What did he do, and how can we do the same things that he did? Well, Matthew tells us that in, in between these two scriptures here. 
you want to read something during the week, it would be a, a good thing to read the scriptures that take place between Matthew 4.23 and Matthew 9.35. This is what Jesus did in his ministry. He told people the good news, and he healed the sick. He proclaimed, and he demonstrated. Then having finished that section, Matthew says, now this is what Jesus told his disciples to do. After 9.35, he says this. In, in Matthew 10, chapter, one, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, he says this. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Matthew 10, 7 through 8. As you go, talking to the 12 disciples, as you go, preach this message. This is the message I want you to take. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. He expected his disciples to preach the good news of the kingdom, to tell the people that the kingdom of heaven is near, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse those who had any disease, and to drive out demons. That's what he expected the 12 to do. So Jesus did it. And then he commanded his disciples to do it as well. Well, if you turn over a few uh, chapters here to Luke, Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, it says this. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority. He gave them his power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, it's not just the 12. It says this, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So the number's increasing. He realized that 12 couldn't do it. Let's, let's, let's use 72. And he sent them out. And this is what he commanded them to do in Luke chapter 10, verse 9. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. It hadn't changed. It's the same message, same message throughout, same uh, emphasis on the message. The good news, preach the good news and heal the sick. So that's what Jesus did. And that's what he commanded his disciples to do. And then at the end of the, of the Gospel of Matthew, if we turn back to Matthew uh, 28, I can find it here. Matthew 28, um, verses 9, 19 through 20, says this. This is Jesus talking as he's getting ready to ascend up into heaven. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. All nations. That includes everybody that's here today. You go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them, that would be us if we're Christ followers, teaching them to, do, to obey everything that I have commanded you to do. What did he command them to do? Tell the people the good news and heal the sick. It's still, still easy. 
So I want you to ask yourself this question. I think I wrote it on your, on your notes there. What would I do in my life if I knew, if I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that I couldn't fail? What could you do in your life if you knew you couldn't fail at it? We give, we've been given a job to do. And we were given that job by our Lord. And the only way that we're going to fail in that job is to not do it. Because he's also promised us power and authority to get the job done. It just blows my mind. And I, there is no logic. This is a paradox too. <laughs> that God has chosen to advance his kingdom, the kingdom of God, using his church, and that's us. Why would he choose you and me? I don't know, but he has. That's our call. That's our commission to advance the kingdom of God. The only thing you can do, the only thing I can do is the part of that job that we can do. And then... And that would be follow his commands to go out and do it. And then when we do our part, God will do the part that only God can do. And that teaming up together advances the kingdom of God. We don't know what it's going to look like. We, we, we just don't know what to expect. But I can tell you this for sure. This is for certain. It's going to be a paradox. It's not going to look like what you think it's going to look like. It's going to look totally different. But you have been given the authority. You have been given the power. So what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? The kingdom of God is already, and it's not yet. And you and I are commanded to proclaim, and to demonstrate. So let's go ahead and get on with it. Father, we just thank you for choosing us, for allowing us to be part of this great plan. We're so imperfect. You're so perfect. We can't begin to understand why you would use us, but you have, and we thank you for that. Give us the boldness to carry out the things that you call us to do, whatever that might look like. And it's going to be things that we don't expect, but we look forward with anticipation to see how you're going to work in our lives and in the lives of the community through us. All praise, honor, and glory is yours. In Jesus' name, amen.